So uh, let's listen to God's word. We're looking at today, uh, 1 John chapter 3, and then verse 19 through 4, verse 6. So let's hear God's word. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Let's listen to, let's uh, seek the Lord our God in prayer and ask his blessing upon our time together. O Lord, our God in heaven, you are the author of this book that you have given to us to reveal to us the way of salvation, the way of life and blessedness, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, and whom you have sent, so that we might have eternal life. And so, Lord, we pray that we would experience that life today as we look at your word, that you, by your spirit, would awaken our hearts to hear what you have to say, that you would put out of our minds all the things we have pending and all the concerns of our hearts, all the things of this busy season, and that we would be able to focus on you and what it means to live before you and fellowship with you, and that we might be able to glorify your name by receiving from you what you have for us today. So, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would give us the message we need to hear, that that you would raise our hearts up unto you, our true and great and glorious God. And we pray this in the name of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we are looking at the book of 1 John, and the title I've given to this series is Joyful Community with God and Man, Joyful Fellowship with God and Man. And uh, when we think about community and fellowship, it might be hard for us to think about how are we going to bring it about. We think about, our, we think about the nations. <laughs> they're, they're at each other's throats often. We think about uh, within the nation, and there's polarization and, and people are divided from one another. Often the church itself can be a place of division and fighting. And uh, churches break apart. And within the family, we know we don't have to go very far to find divisions and struggles. And, uh, and in all the other communities we're involved in. And so we have to ask the question this Christmas and this time. Is there any hope for our communities? Is there any hope? for joyful fellowship with God and man. And we have an answer in this section that's given in just a little phrase, but it's an important teaching of the Scripture. And it tells us that we do have hope. 
And the hope is that we have a resource available that can transform our na- the nations, our nation, the churches, and our families. And that resource is prayer. That we can receive from God the Father anything we ask. 1 John three twenty two. And so what I want you to see is that there are endless resources in prayer. And so we should not look upon any situation in the world, in the nation, in the church, in the family, and say there is no hope or that this is hopeless because God is greater than our challenges and is able to do exceedingly abundantly above everything that we could ask or think. We can receive from him anything, anything that we ask in prayer. So we're not helpless victims, and we have a resource in our Father in heaven. And so the question, though, that this passage presents to us is how can we have confidence to go before our Father in heaven and ask from him the things that we need? And we have the answers to that given here as well. And so the two, there are really two challenges to, to going before the Father with confidence. One is an internal challenge inside of us as individuals. And the other one is that comes from outside us. So an internal and an external challenge. And so those would be the two things I want us to focus on this morning is internal and external challenge. And then we'll look at what the goal of overcoming those challenges is in fellowship with God. So those would be our three points. So the internal challenge, the external challenge, and then the goal of fellowship with God. So John presents to us in verse 19 the idea that when we... um, that of having our hearts at rest in his presence, our heart not condemning us, that we have confidence before God if our heart does not condemn us. Now, this is stated in the context of what he had just said. In, chapter, uh, in 1 John 3, 11 through 18, John begins to expound on a point that he had made from the beginning of this letter, which is the extreme importance of the command to love one another. And he encourages us not just to be talking about love, not just to to say we feel love, but to be doing it in action and truth by the way we interact with our brothers and sisters, by the way we are concerned for their needs, by the way that we, we seek to move outward towards others to help them and to love them. Now, one thing we need to understand is that, um, then, is that love for others gives us a confidence before God. We can't stand before God and have confidence with a heart filled with hatred for others. This is what John is telling us. And this is exactly what Jesus said to us in in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 23 through 24, he says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. And so it's so crucial, he says, you cannot just say, I got my relationship with God and how I treat the people around me and my relationships with the people around me doesn't matter. He says, if, if there's something that needs to be fixed, then you need to focus on that and then come to God with that being fixed. And that's precisely what he teaches us in, the, in, the, in one of our most basic, common, well-known points of the faith, the Lord's Prayer. What does he say? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So as we seek forgiveness from God, it should lead us to forgiving of 
others. And so what we need to see is that we need to, as we come before the Lord, recognize that he is holy and pure and that we ourselves need to commit ourselves to having a clear conscience before him in regards to what we've done in relationship to him and relationship to others. 1 John 3.20 warns us here. It says, If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Now, this, passage, this verse has been taken in a couple different ways. We know that God is greater than our hearts. Some people have taken it positively to say that, well, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and, and he, he knows other things. He knows the sacrifice of Christ. He knows the intercession of the Spirit. And so we can still have confidence before God even if we're struggling. And that's a true statement. But uh, I think better in the context is to take it negatively, to say that we can't just ignore the things that are in our hearts and pretend like God doesn't see them. We've got to recognize that we have to deal with the things that are there. We have to deal with the, with the sin that is there. We have to deal with the issues that are of our hearts as we go before the Lord. And I want to just encourage you this week to, to um, think about this very carefully as to where you stand before the Lord and where, what is your place before the Lord. I was really reminded of this um, very poignantly this week. Um, when I was in... Um, so, as, as many of you know, I made a group of friends from uh, Guadalajara, Mexico. And I was able to visit them, and, and, I, and they were college students, and I met several of their parents while I was down there and uh, really enjoyed meeting them. And so maybe, maybe uh, my age or just a little bit older. And uh, I got the sad news on Friday that one of their fathers had fallen sick on Wednesday and he died on Friday. And it was so shocking. You know, um, I've, it feels like I, I've been dealing with the issue of death and a lot lately. And, um, you know, when someone, someone after a long life in their, in their 90s, after struggling with health, dies. It's still sad. We still miss them. But then we see that someone um, who's, who's in their 40s or 50s still has, has, has relatively young kids, dies. It can, it's such a tragic thing. But it's a reminder to each one of us that we can't claim that we're going to live out this week. And so we need to, to be serious about what is our standing before the Lord? Where are we standing before Him? We can't, it's not something we should just put off. And one way that we need, what we need to see in our hearts is really two key things that are described in 1 John 3, 23. He says, this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commands us. What we're looking for in our hearts is, is a faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot go before the Father without faith in Jesus Christ. He is the one true way to the Father. And, but also, then he says, and love for one another. Those are the things that set our hearts free before the Lord. Those are the two things we look for. And then he says, if we have love for others, we should ask of him anything that we need. And this is really precisely what Jesus says. Once again, I, wanna, I want you to think of it when you're thinking about um, this epistle from John, this letter that he writes. Think about it in the context of, of the book of John and read some of the things that he says there and you'll see like there's a significant overlap. So, you know, John is reflecting on the teachings of Jesus. And if you look at John chapter 15, he says essentially the same thing. 
If you remain in my, me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. John 15, 7, 10, and 12. But read that whole section in John 15. Compare it to what's being said here, and I think you'll, you'll get a lot of light on this. Now, so the point being that we want to, we need to seek from the Lord everything we need, we need to look in our hearts. We need to make sure that we have faith in Christ. We need to make sure that our relationships are good as far as concerns us. We'll talk about that here in a little bit more in a second. And we need to, 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 to deal with what is there. Now, here's a, question, a couple questions that might come up in regard to this. What do we do if our heart does condemn us? What if we do if we see, man, I've really done wrong to other people. I've really done wrong in this week. Does that mean that we should not go before our Father? Does that mean that we should wait a period of time? Well, the book of John gives us the, this, this letter gives us the answer. And the answer is that we don't have to wait for anything. What we need to do is to be honest about what's going, what we've done. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so if we have sinned against God or man then what do we need to do? We need to say that we've done it. We need to be honest with the Lord. And then we need to believe that we can now have confidence before God. When we've done something wrong, we failed. It doesn't always feel like we can go before the God. But then we need to say we need to believe the truth of the promises of God, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness and let that govern our hearts rather than simply what we may feel that day. We need to seek that forgiveness. As John says, if, we, if any of you do sin, he doesn't say it's over for you. He says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So we need to go to the Father to deal with the sin so that once again we can go before him in confidence. Now, the other question comes to, what about other people? What if they don't want to be reconciled to us? Then does that mean we have to wait till they're reconciled to us before we have to before we can go before the, our Father in confidence? Well, distinguish between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is on our part letting go of the wrong to say we're ready to be reconciled, we're ready to have a relationship restored. But that doesn't mean that another person is ready to have it restored, and we may have to wait on them for a time. We may have to seek that out in prayer. Um, But on our part, we should be ready to let it go and give those concerns, those things that we've done over to the Father and to allow Him to deal with it and to trust Him with it on our part. And that's how we can go before the Lord in confidence, even if another person is not ready to be reconciled to us. So that's our call. That's what we're called to do. Now, what we need to remember in all of this is when we're dealing with the issue of Having, a, having confidence before the Lord, that we are the children of God, that we can go before him in confidence, we should recognize that this isn't just something we're doing on our own. The Spirit is at work in us, seeking to assure us that we are the children of God. He's at work convicting us. He's at work showing us God's work in our lives. He's at work showing us the promises of God. 
Look at what it says in verse 24. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. And so that's what Jesus had promised. The spirit would be in us. And we'll see, and the spirit is helping us to see the things that we need to see. And the spirit is with us. And as Paul says, the spirit is interceding with our, with, on our behalf before the father. He witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, so we shouldn't have despair if we, are, if we are struggling. The Spirit will help us. Now, as soon as he speaks of the Spirit, he makes a little shift. And he says in 1 John 4, he talks about the external challenge. The internal challenge is to have the confidence that we have faith in God and that we have love for one another. The external challenge is described in chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the Spirit's to see whether they are from God. And then he gives them the warning because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So he speaks of the spirits in the sense that there is the Holy Spirit, but then there are other spirits who are speaking and giving us a message about the way of life. And there is the truth that comes from the Holy Spirit, but then there is also other spirits who are giving us a false message. And as he puts it, many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so that's where we need to be aware that there are many messages that would lead us astray, that would result in us not having confidence before the Father or having a false confidence before the Father that's based on a lie rather than based on the promises of God. And so we need to be on our guard. And he gives us a key test to show us whether or not the spirits are from God. Look at verse 2. He says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. So, <clears throat> he says that there is another message that is coming. They may mention... Jesus, they may mention the Christ, but they deny that he is the one true God come in the flesh. Become human being, remaining God, remaining man, one person forever. They will deny that message. And, and note that this message can be something that is seductive, that sounds good, that sounds reasonable to people. Look at what he says in verse 5. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. So they have an audience because they're saying things that make sense to the world. And you can see that this is still the key mark of false teaching. That we can see that, that there in our day, the, the great challenge that we have, the greatest challenge, there are other challenges in regard to the faith, but is what do we say about Jesus? And there are many people who want to say that he's a, he's a good teacher or that he, he has something to offer. But what they will not say is that he is the one true God come in the flesh as the Savior, as the only Savior of mankind. And the other way this is stated is oftentimes, well, this is one perspective. This is one religion, but all religions teach the same thing. And if we say all religions teach the same thing, what ends up being the, the bottom line of that? It denies that 
that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is the basis on which, the only basis on which we have for the forgiveness of sins, that he is the one true God come into the world as the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. And so those are seductive teachings. And there's a lot of pressure on us to just say, this is just our, our idea, you have your ideas and they're all good. Or to say that we, could, we, like, we like Jesus, you like somebody else and we're all, it's all the same. That's seductive. The world will listen to that teaching. But if we say that Jesus is the one true Savior, and the only true Savior, then we will have trouble. We will have trouble. But we will also lose, if we don't say, if we don't say that, we'll also lose our hope. Because what we confess, what we have confessed together, is He is the one true Savior that is coming to the world, and that he is our only hope. Without him, we have no hope before the Lord. He is the only one who offers us a perfect and sufficient sacrifice for all our sins, who has been raised from the dead that we might have new life, who is seated before the Father to intercede for us, and who is coming again with glory to bring us unto himself. So we need to not let go of that. That's the, that's the testing of the spirits. And if we lose that, then we lose our confidence before the Father. <clears throat> But now, one of the things we need to see in the book of John is that we could easily take the book of John in a very, almost very black way, such as, such as we speak to the people of God and tell them that um, you better be very careful because most of you are probably going to miss it. But that's not how he sees it. As he speaks to the visible church, <coughs> the assembled people of God, who... <coughs> who um, who confess their faith and are walking in the ways of the Lord, his expectation is that the people whom he's here, who are hearing this are going to pass the test and that they are going to overcome the world. Listen to what he says in verse 4. He says, You, dear children, are from God <coughs> and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So, and this is what he says <coughs> in chapter 5. In verse 4, um, he says, This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Now, John tells us that we need to be cautious about sin in our lives. And if we see it, we need to confess it. And we need to, and we need to find the, the, the assurance of forgiveness that God has for us. However, we should not have such a doctrine of sin that denies the real virtues of the believer. And that we can know those virtues, the virtues of faith, hope, and love. And John's expectation is that people can see those things in themselves and know for sure that they are the children of God. And if, if they fail in this way, they can see also that they can have forgiveness. They, they can also see the general direction of their life. They can see that this is the way they're going, that they want to walk in the ways of the Lord. They confess their sins and they seek the Lord. They should have confidence before the Lord, and they should have confidence that the world won't take them. <clears throat> that in the face of these challenges, there will be a victory. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and so as we think about this, <clears throat> sorry about that, um, we need to be on guard. <clears throat> we need to think about and have clear understanding of our faith in Christ. One of the ways to do that is to, to study the confessions of the church. 
They're not infallible, but they're, they're the, the testimony of the church who's fought with the world and overcome. And so they can help us think through and process the challenges of ages past and overcome them. <clears throat> now, so I just want to commend that to you. If you go to our page, www.evergreentn.com, if you're watching online, you've probably seen it, um, you can find a link to our Confession of Faith, and it's a good place to begin studying as we think about how do we think clearly about who Jesus is and what he's done. Now, what do, why, why are we doing all this? Why are we thinking? Why are we testing ourselves? Why are we testing the faith to make sure we're in the faith? Well, we need to see that the goal of, of studying theology and the goal of this examination is not, is not simply to do it for its own sake. I've known plenty of people who can get interested in theology and thinking through these things just for its own sake. And, and then you find that, there's, that they've missed some of the key things of the faith because they get their mind caught up in these things. And the mind is important. But the goal of it is fellowship with God. Look at verse 24. The one who key of chapter 3. The one who keeps God's commandments lives in him and he in them. The goal of, of knowing about God is always to have fellowship with God. The goal of knowing Jesus Christ is to fellowship with the Father through him. The goal of knowing about the Holy Spirit is to live in the life of the Spirit. And the goal is then that we would also seek from God what we need in order to serve him in the world. That's why we ask from him anything that we need. So that we can be agents who work in the world to create the joyful community of fellowship between God and man. That's what Jesus. Or that's what John says in in uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. This is the confidence we have in God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So we want to know and have confidence for the Lord so we can enjoy fellowship with him and so that we can ask from him the things that we need in order to serve him. So the point of this passage is to examine our hearts so that we can live in fellowship with the Lord and so that we can then serve him using the resources that he has given us. That is the goal of confidence before him. Now, let me just kind of drive this, try to drive this home a little bit more by asking a common question my people might have based on what they've heard here. If we're so open to, if God is so open to answering our prayers, then why do we not see more answers to our prayers? Well, let me just say first, I think God answers a lot more prayers than we think. If we really think about all the things we ask of him and all the things he gives us, that God has blessed us with answer upon answer upon answer to our prayers. And even like big things we prayed for, sometimes we forget that we actually prayed for that a long time before the Lord gave us the answer. So one of the things is to, to get better at remembering the answers the Lord has given to us so that that will give us more confidence in asking from him. But I think sometimes also we ask for things that aren't really essential to our, to our to happiness and blessedness and fellowship with the Lord. We ask for the right job, the right house, the right vacation, or the right people in our lives. And what we need to see is that a lot of those things are not needed, even though God may give us those things at times. What we need is given for us 
to really enjoy that fellowship with God and man, and sometimes many other things as well. What we do need in order to experience the happiness and blessedness of the Lord and fellowship with him is greater faith in him to see him more clearly, greater love for him to desire fellowship with him, greater love for people, greater hope that God is going to do good things, more wisdom to know what really reality is, more justice to see the needs around us and to live in the communities that he's given to us with a heart for, the pe- for those people. More courage to do what we think is right and to keep doing it. And more temperance in order to focus on those things that are truly going to be life-giving for us. And God will give us all these things. He's ready to give them. He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. But another aspect of, of this is that when our hearts are aligned in love with the Father and in love with those around us, then our prayers are going to reflect that. And if we have love, we'll pray for people. And sometimes we, we don't uh, pray in terms of the ministry that God wants us to have. Praying for hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We start praying along those lines and we'll see the Lord work. I have a testimony from, from my own life where I really saw this clearly. And I know the Lord has done this many other things, but this one was so poignant. In my last church, we had a moment of repentance. We realized that we had been focused mainly on ourselves and our own knowledge. And not that we hadn't loved our community in the way that we needed to love them. And so we repented and we gathered for prayer like every, every Wednesday night to pray and to ask the Lord to help us to give us direction on how we could love. And it was amazing just to see what happened in the next few months. Like, beyond, without our working, the Lord just started bringing the people that we needed to love. And he brought us people that would help us love those people. And it grew out of that vision. And that's what the Lord does when we get a vision to serve him in the community. We'll start asking, and he'll start giving. If you don't believe me, ask any of our ministry partners that we serve with what happened when they started to get a vision to serve a particular people, how they began to pray, and how the Lord began to provide. And the same is true for us on an individual level. When we begin to get a vision for what we can do and how we can serve, we'll ask the Lord and he'll keep bringing people to our lives. And in all kinds of different ways. It may be a, begin with a business partnership. It may just be blessing the people around us. I was talking to someone yesterday. How they began to get a vision for a business and just all the good things that had come out there just by you know, pushing forward and having a vision to, to love those around them. And that's the sort of thing the Lord will do. And as we ask about that, he'll begin to open the doors. So let me just conclude by just asking you, to uh, kind of summarizing what I've said. Does your heart condemn you this morning? If so, then what you need to do is to, to, to get that right before the Lord. Uh, wrestle with that. Seek the Lord. Seek his grace. Seek, confess your sin. And find the grace and forgiveness. Then believe that when God says you confess it and he'll he'll forgive you, that he'll really do it. That's where we need to start. But then after we've done that, then the goal is that we would enjoy fellowship with God. And that we would ask of him great things and see him do them in this world. Because that is our heritage. That is what the Lord has for us. He wants us to approach him with confidence. Yes, deal with the things that are in our heart that need to be dealt with, but then move before him and then coming with hearts that do not condemn us, have confidence before God, and then receive from him anything we ask. 
That's the amazing resource that we have opened up to us today. So let's use it. Amen.